Dr. Cohen, how are you? Jamie, good, thanks. <laughs> First time I've met you today, and um, as always with conversations, I was like, we should have a talk. Then we ended up having a talk for about 15 minutes. And I was like, we need to stop talking because this is absolutely fantastic. And in, and in 15 minutes, uh, we spoke about stoicism, we spoke about, we, we spoke about rhinoplasty, we spoke about breathing. So we should just carry on talking with what we've been speaking about, really. You've got, is it right, 4 million followers on TikTok? Uh, about 4.9. Keep count. Give or take 900,000. <laughs> yeah. How did you start your TikTok journey? Where did all of that start? Uh, I've told a few people this, and thankfully it's not changed over the years, uh, over the months even. Um, I was actually on call, and I was about to do a major operation. It's called a laparotomy. You open someone open, and you know you find all sorts of funny things inside the abdomen. They were quite unwell. They were about to be put to sleep, about to be put anesthetized by the anesthetist. I was waiting in the uh, coffee room with one of my juniors and he was on TikTok and he said oh you're always on this app why don't you make something and I said that and because just before that I was telling him some interesting facts I told him oh did you know that humans share 70% of the same DNA as bananas <laughs> just think about that for a second uh, let, let me think about that for a second just let that sink How? in okay right um, and you know it's actually higher than slugs we share 60% of our DNA with slugs uh, and you might see that in some people, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I told him, you know, in a lifetime, you shed 20 kilos of skin cells. And you, again, you're thinking about that. So you're wearing a new skin every year almost, you know, metaphorically, literally, yeah, yeah. physically. And I told him some of these interesting facts. And he was just like, I don't believe any of those facts you've just told me. And I, I said, look them up. He looked them up and he said, OK, say it on camera now. And I did it on camera. That was my first series on TikTok, Weird Medical Facts. Three facts that were just weird. We posted it, and then we did the operation. It took about three hours. We came back outside. He said, like, just check your phone. And I checked my phone. And it doesn't sound like much now, but it got 50,000 views. And I had, what, 100 followers or something. Had 50,000 views, loads of comments, loads of shares, and loads of people saying, we want more, we want more. And I was like, wow, okay. And I kept doing it. And that was my first ever series, and it was pretty successful. And I made 99 parts, Weird Medical Facts Part 1 through to 99. I never did 100. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, and then obviously I, COVID came along. I uh, started talking about COVID, pandemic, all sorts of things, vaccines. And it's just evolved over time, you know, talking. I, I used it as a jumping block to talk about various other things. Never in a million years could I think that I'd be able to get a video talking about hemorrhoids to three million views, hemorrhoids. So, but it's also incredible because it's it's just a case of just starting, and it's always interesting because I always think to myself, if that, that didn't happen, I wouldn't be there. If that didn't happen, you know. So if that only got ten views and nothing else, that could have stopped you from doing the other ninety nine. And it's just amazing that you know it carried on the way um, that it does. Do you enjoy it as much like over the years? Is it some? Is it? I always say this to people with content, like for me, I've been doing content for 10 years and it's changed and evolved, but I still love it. If you were to ask me, I can only do one thing in my business for the day, it'd be like do a piece of content because it's just my passion and joy. And I think it's, I'm very fortunate to, one of the reasons I say, the reason I'm so consistent with it is because I enjoy it and I know a lot of people don't. So do you still enjoy doing it? Massively so. And at this point in 2022, in August, where we are right now, if you ask me, you have to choose now 
between only doing surgery for the rest of your life or only doing social media, I honestly would have a very hard time choosing. It's got to the point where it's become a second career and I love it as much as I love operating on people. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I do love it. And because it's evolving at such a fast pace, you know, TikTok's come and it's blown social media wide open with its refreshing approach and who knows what's gonna be next. And at the end of the day, you're an educator, I'm an educator, and I just love providing knowledge. And this was epitomized by something completely non-social media related. I was on call last week, and the new junior doctors have just started. They've been in the job for like a week or so, so they're very new, uh, very fresh, and not getting to grips with everything. We've all been there. And we were about to see a patient with possible appendicitis. And I spoke to this junior doctor, and I told them, this is my algorithm in my head as to how I deal with appendicitis. If they're over 40, I might get a CT scan. If they're less than 40, I might get an ultrasound if they're female. You know, there's all sorts of intricacies and I explained why as to my thought process. And I drew her a kind of a tree diagram, a flow diagram of my thought process about dealing with appendicitis. And a few hours later, I come into the um, office and she's teaching a medical student and drawing that exact same flow diagram. And I was like, that's incredible, I love that. Literally a few hours ago, and in a few hours, the cycle is complete. I teach her, she teaches a med student, monkey see, monkey do, and that is the basis of teaching and how I love it. And that's why I love social media. You know, I teach someone something, someone stitches my video, and that, it's just that draws you and drives you to make more. Yeah, and it's funny, because um, yesterday, I had someone share a link and said, your audio's trending, and all these reels are using it, but there's no credit to my name whatsoever. And people are like, oh, people steal, like they said, people are stealing your audio. And I said, no, they're not. They're helping get the message out there so much more. And it's that thing, like, some people would look at that and look at the drawing and go, you're stealing my work. When in actual fact, they're not. You have passed on something which is now going to help other people. And I say, I work with a lot of coaches, and I say to people, do you know what's worse than someone stealing your content? Not stealing it. And it's just understanding that, that their aim for this, and, and you know, my mission's become very clear this year, is the fact that I say I want to leave people better when they find my content. And that's my only mission. If, that, if somebody else can help with that, as in trend the audio, it will eventually find its way back to me. And that is a great mindset to have because you're not looking at what anyone else is doing. You're just putting the message out to help people. And once again, that's what I love so much about social media I mean it's really changed for me this year because doing it for nine years I was in a niche fitness niche you know um, fat loss fitness and so if you were into the gym into that you'd know who I am but it's all changed this year with 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 TikTok and Instagram and and going a lot broader talking about relationships talking about mindset so you know, I was down in North Devon. So, hey, you're that TikTok guy, and you're like, and I said to my wife, I was like, this is bonkers. I, you know, never had this kind of before, and and it, and it's, I find it really rewarding because the the stuff that I'm putting out is what I want to put out. So, and I think that's so important with social media is to continue the passion with what it is that you do. You've got to first love what you do and what it is that you're putting out has to benefit other people because once again, there's a lot of people who post stuff that riles people up and I would hate for someone to go, hey, you're that guy that winds people up. I mean, I think I'd, I'd feel like I'd failed social media if someone had known me as the guy that winds people up. So, and it's just, a, yeah, it's, it's just so fascinating with social media. With your, with your content, Cohen, what, 
What would you say is your, your most proud pieces of content? Do you have any that keep, and what I mean by that is that I always say that when someone recognizes me, I ask them what piece of content was it? And there's normally one that crops up all the time. You're like, I'm glad I did that piece. Is there any of those for you? I don't know, to be honest. And on social media, I kind of see myself as a jack of all trades in a sense, in terms of I feel I can talk about almost anything. And I think that's good for a creator not to have a niche. You'll see all sorts of people telling you, you know, post this many times a day, pick a niche, do this. And I think that does work for sure. But the thing is, the real truth about social media is there aren't any rules. You make your own rules yeah. and you can either live or die by those rules. And when I started off, I started off with weird medical facts and it was fun and jokey and lighthearted, but did it cause any change? No, it's a, it's an icebreaker at parties. It's something that you can watch when they're on the toilet. It gives yeah, you a laugh. Yeah. I wanted to make more significant change. So when I disappear from this earth, even if my name's not mentioned, someone knows about checking their poo for colon cancer, yeah. you know, or checking their breast for breast cancer lumps yeah. and things like that. And I think that's key. Um, and I, I talk about all sorts of health science debunking things and that started with the pandemic with COVID and the vaccines and then to general health and medicine. And whilst I don't have one video that's saying that's the video yeah. which made yeah. me, I think I want to be known and I think I am known for a certain integrity and credibility to say whatever he puts out. It might bring me a laugh, it might bring me some education, but it will be unadulterated, unfiltered truth. Yeah, I can yeah. trust him. He's not selling me anything. Yeah. Um, and if he does eventually sell me something, like a book or a course or something that I've produced, it's coming from a place of sincerity. Yeah, and so I don't mind. And they'll know that you've put your heart and soul into that as well. Yeah, if I ever do, if I, I don't sell anything and I don't plan to sell anything in the near future, but I do want to write a book one day and that book I will definitely pour my heart and soul into. Um, and if I'm asking someone for, I don't know, eight pounds for that book, I would hope that I've given enough knowledge and shown my passion enough over the few years I've been on social media to say, you know what, I really enjoy his content and I want to read that book mm. and I want to support him. Yeah, and it's, you know, go back to what you said about putting stuff out in the world. It's something I, I, I saved, I save a lot of notes when I listen to different TikToks and different people. And it was just an interview with Jimmy Carr and he said, he was talking about the, the late Sean Locke um, and still I love all of his stuff and Jimmy Carr says you die twice once when you actually die and the second when people stop talking about you and that really hit home because I'm a little bit uh, with the word leg I want to create a legacy and it's like no well I'm never going to know because I'm going to be dead but also at the same time you know I've got kids I've got I, I would, my ideal thing even though I would never see it is that someone says something that I've said and my daughter or son turns around and goes yeah my dad said that and that, to me, is like... That's incredible. So that also pushes me to go, right, I need to get the message out more. I need to do more. I need to, um, you know, go all in on that thing, which, no, for, you, for yourself, you know, you're, you're a doctor. You, you know, it's trying to balance, you know, your job with this, this social media. Um, how, it, like, how, do you find, like, how do you find the time to do it? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's very difficult, I'll be honest, because some hours or some weeks I'll be working 60, 70, maybe even 80 hours a week. And I just got off a stretch of working nine days on the trot, which is very tough mentally and physically. And also you've got this obligation almost at the background that I need to put out a piece of content today. And it becomes a habit. It becomes a reflex. And, you know, we can go into the intricacies of 
you know neurobiology as to why that is because we like the reward system that yeah, yeah. circuit of posting and getting likes and views but it's deeper than that you have this captivated audience that enjoy your content and it's almost like tuning into your favorite tv show yeah. you want to see the next episode so they're expecting something and you feel almost you've got this community you want to provide for making content about checking for bowel health or gut microbiome or diet or nutrition or sleep and it's just providing that impact. In terms of balancing it, I struggled to balance. And actually, very early on, I think it had negative impacts on my own physical and mental health. And it's about reclaiming some of that balance and thinking actually it's okay not to post every day. It's okay not to post even in a whole week. doesn't matter. As long as when you do post something, it's good. Yeah. Or whatever you want to post. It's, it's an interesting one. And it's under, I would say to... Have you, have you read uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits? Mm. So a lot of what he talks about is about splitting the class down and saying, look, post, you know, this person's going to be judged based on one piece of work and you've got a month to do it. And then these people are going to be graded based on the amount that they do. And I think as well with social media, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because yes, your content needs to be contain quality, yeah. but quality of actually that only gets better with quantity because putting stuff out even when it's shit because you don't know it's shit gets you better but also you find more what your audience resonates with that molds you yeah, yeah. the yeah. more you put out yeah, yeah. And, and it's that, it's that kind of thing where I say to people look just initially make a commitment for 30 days to put something out there every day because what we're doing as you said creating that habit creating that routine but also going actually you know if you consistently post 30 things chances are one's going to do especially on tiktok one's going to get at least 5,000 10,000 views yeah. and you're really going to go okay cool i'm going to i'm going to do more of that particular one so it is it is that long kind of process i think with with, with content and that i say to people is that you just need to you know keep an, and it all depends on where you are you know like with, with yourself or with me i post every single day but i'm very fortunate to have a strategy that allows me to take a long form piece of content cut that into 40 clips mm. and then my work's done for two weeks yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know i say to people there's different ways of doing it and you know you got to find the way that works best for you because with my balance yeah I, i'm coaching hundreds of clients so I, I i do have an actual job but my job is also social media so how can i put something out every day that's that's quality um, in without taking so much of my time. I think, um, you know, there's a really good point there about putting out content that you want to put out. And I spoke to you earlier about this and I read a really interesting article um, on a blog called Audience Capture by Gurinder the Bogle. Okay. And essentially he used the example of this very well-known YouTuber called Nick Ocado. And this guy started off as, uh, you know, just posting, I think, playing instruments and all sorts. And then he went into the mukbang uh, sphere and his audience loved the fact that he was just eating all sorts of, you know, thousands and thousands of calories on camera in a single sitting. And you could see over the years, this guy gained weight and gained more and more weight at the cost of his own health. And I think he had heart issues, mental health issues, because if you saw his first video compared to his 200th video, he was a different person. He was three or four times bigger. And that had a huge impact on his health globally. And the audience capture bit there is that he's being influenced by his audience rather than the other way around. The yeah. influencer becomes influenced. It's the same with people who make prank videos or comedy videos. Are you doing that for views? And what's your long-term thing? Now you're stuck in that niche. Is yeah. that what you want to be doing? And if you change, 
suddenly your audience is like, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want you to do this. Yeah. So it's essentially becoming a slave to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's so interesting because people are very much focused on what gets the most views on yeah. rather than what I want to post. I've been there and I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you and it's never felt good. And nowadays I'm at the stage where I'd rather post a video that I like and it gets 50,000 views, which I would class as really bad in term, in proportion in, to my in following. Proportion, yeah, yeah. But I would rather that nowadays than getting a 3 million video view rate, which actually I just, I don't really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, been known for that been that guy who got that viral video for the thing that you didn't actually want to post no it's like oh i'd rather i'd rather 10 50 000 ones are the ones that i did want yeah. to post it's people who will engage with you and will be a long-term community member rather than someone say oh that's funny click follow <laughs> so some of the things we spoke about um before camera was was stoicism mm. and it was very interesting because obviously i tattooed <laughs> every single stoic on my arm and i, I was really fascinated because something that I spoke about was certain bandwagon effects of when you see something become popular, I tend to want to get off the bandwagon because I'm like, if everyone's talking about it, it's probably not that special, um, especially when it comes to things like investing. It's like when everyone's talking about it, it's too late. Um, and very much like this whole biohacking stuff, and it makes me cringe because I think Bulletproof Coffee and Dave Asprey, and it makes me slightly like, oh. But stoicism, you know, it's something that I found at a very difficult part in my life. You know, I was dealing with... Um, relationship problems, um, identity problems, and having that, this thing of actually really fundamentally understanding that um, in life you've got to find the things that you can control. If you can control them, then, then control them. But the hardest thing that I've had to develop and grow is the things that outside of your control, just let go because you can't control them. So what are your thoughts on stoicism? Yeah, and yeah, that's a really important point. And I'll just make a couple of points. I don't forget them. Uh, if you just indulge me for a second. For a long time, I thought this whole idea of stoicism was a crock of shit. You know, I'm like, this guy, you know, I'm, I, I won't name the person, but, you know, there's a lot of people online who talk about stoicism. And usually, more often than not, they're privileged white guys. And I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about gratitude, overcoming hardship. Without fully knowing your background, you may well have various traumas and difficult things. In your privileged state, compared to someone who's living in a slum in India, how much real hardship have you gone through to be quoting dead people? And rich dead people in their time, you know, Thomas Aquinas, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Aristotle. Right, these yeah. were all, you know, well-respected philosophers at the top of the food chain back in the day, in the classical world, yeah. right? So they're not just random people, so they were privileged as well. And it's different when, you know, um, a peasant slave working in the uh, spas in ancient Rome is, you know, shoveling shit or something compared to, you know, some guy sitting in a steam room. Yeah. So that's one thing about stoicism. I always thought, really? You know, but actually, accidentally, I was doing some form of yeah. distorted stoicism in my own way. So when I'm operating... I can send someone for a major abdominal surgery. I list them through various complications which they might undergo. You might die if it's a bowel cancer surgery. You might have sepsis, a bloodstream infection afterwards. You might, you know, have major bleeding, all sorts of things that I have to go through. And actually, when I'm operating on them, I have this moment of transient panic where I'm like, shit, 
all of this could go wrong. They could die. I could prang a blood vessel. They could bleed out. I could prang a nerve. They could get paralysis. I could prang a bowel and they could, you know, have shit leaking into their abdomen. A lot of things that I could do which could kill them, basically, and that's on me. And that actually safeguards me from making a mistake because I'm so hyper aware of, oh, shit, that can happen. So in a way, that's a form of avoidance. I'm thinking I need to ground myself because I'm thinking of all the negative things and then going on to you know, that form of uh, stoicism in a way. And uh, I think obviously, you know, all of these people who talk about stoicism, it's great. And for a while, I, you know, it's all very hippie thing, you know, gratitude, happiness and all these things. And I, I came across this interesting study that my friend sent to me because for a while I was very angry, frustrated, with things in general, not doing it on social media, not doing as well as I wanted at work. And I was thinking, why am I so upset and unhappy all the time? And my friend sent me this study, and he's super into self-help, psychology, and things like that. And it was a study in the 80s, epidemiological study, done in Sweden, looking at the happiness formula. What is happiness? How do you define happiness? And although some of the stats and results might be slightly outdated, it provides a good overview into how you can think about happiness. And it helped me massively as well to shift my perspective. They said that 50%, they looked at lots of kids and, you know, their backgrounds and, you know, thousands of kids and people. And they said that 50% of happiness is predetermined genetically. 40%, actually only 10% is material. So your interactions with the outside world, getting a new car, relationship, more, a bigger promotion so you got more money. 10% of that determines your happiness. 40% is your perspective on things. So just changing your perspective. You know, you're meeting a friend, it's raining, and you get lost, and you can think, oh, fuck, I'm lost, I'm going to be late. The other perspective is, um, you know, I'm exploring, like, a different part of the city, I'm going to meet my mate who I've not seen for ages, and the food's going to taste so great after this horrible weather. That's another way to think about the same negative. Yeah. And actually, I started just putting a positive spin on shitty things, yeah, yeah. and it's made me a lot more content and happy. Yeah, and it's... Uh there's a quote that I love. Uh, two men look through prison bars, one saw mud, the other saw stars. And exactly the same with a perspective. I think question that, and the, the, I don't think there's a, an ultimate answer for this, but how does somebody find that perspective? How does someone gain that perspective? Do they have to go through experiences to then have that perception? Or can it, can it be something that can be developed? I think both. Um, for me, it's both were prerequisites for me to develop a degree of contentness. And I, I wouldn't say I'm fully content. And the contentment for me came about by finding my own purpose. And I've spoken about this to friends once and once on social media as well. I, for a long time, and I still am, I'm fascinated by the process of longevity, anti-aging. Not in a biohacking, wellness bro kind of way, like, oh yeah, get some metformin on you, even if you don't have diabetes. No, not yet until we can prove that is a thing. But in terms of how are these people in the blue zones, areas all across the world, like you know Okinawa in Japan or Loma Linda in California, why have they got a higher than average life expectancy? What are they doing? It's not only about their diet. It's not only about the amount of exercise they do. It's actually about their emotional intelligence and the emotions they experience. And in Okinawa, they have something called Ikigai. Yeah, which yeah. is your purpose in life, your reason to wake up in the morning. I didn't have that for a long time, and I suspect that was the root cause of why I was not happy and didn't have that change perspective. And being on social media actually gave me that perspective. I'm providing a service, I'm educating people, and I realized I love learning things and then passing on 
things I learn to other people, whether it's facts or health information or just debunking things. And I realized my purpose is to acquire knowledge and spread knowledge. Yeah. And that has made me a lot happier. And, you know, everyone likes to have money. And I would be lying if I said I didn't want more money. I didn't want to be a multimillionaire or a billionaire. That would be great. But actually, I'm content with providing knowledge and acquiring more knowledge. Yeah, and it's also done the right way. I mean, I don't normally quote Tony Robbins, but he was quite on point with this. He said, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I know lots of very miserable millionaires because yeah. they don't enjoy what it is that they're doing, but they're kind of stuck in this trap now of that's what brings the money in. So mm. now they have to deal with it. And it's just very fascinating because it is, you know, if you can earn, I would say, you know, I work with a lot of coaches, if you can earn good money doing a thing that you love, that is the ultimate success because you've, that is where fulfillment comes from. It's like waking up every day, actually wanting to turn up and do the thing that you do is, is, is fantastic. And, it, you know, I'm always reminding myself of being in that fortunate position. It, yeah, it took a long time to get there and to understand what that thing is. Um, and it's constantly evolving and changing. But that, you know, really have to sit in my happiness has come from a perspective of actually um, it's not adding things to my life. Sometimes it's just... Mm -hmm removing things and, and making a life as simple as possible and I remember having this uh, chat to I think his name was Dr. Isaiah Hankel and he was talking about what is your perfect day so the, the game of money is now complete you no longer have to serve people or do anything and you can literally here's a clock here's 24 hours picture your write down your perfect day and mine is not that off what I'm already doing and, and that's that kind of that's the happiness because there's nothing like there's nothing extreme there, there's nothing extravagant or eccentric at all. It's just get up in my own time, spend time with the kids, go for a dip in the sea, come back, you know, read a book, do some stretching and breathing. You know, I do get up early and I'd like to take that stretch out to about maybe instead of like nine o'clock, maybe ten, um, to do some good work, do maybe a live stream, share some knowledge, um, get David to all cut it off and do it for me. <laughs> But you know, you know, you know that perfect day that you described. I think people get lost in <clears throat> defining happiness. Mm -hmm. So, happiness is defined by different cultures. Western view of happiness is increased mood, elation, those positivity, like through the roof, like beyond baseline level of happiness. But in Eastern traditions, happiness is actually a state of Zen. It's actually you know, being calm, that is happiness. Mm. So, you know, when you notice, like if you, if you ever travel to like, you know, China, Japan, Korea, you know, happiness isn't like screaming and shouting and hugging. It's yeah, actually yeah. just like pleasantry. It's just pleasant. It's that kind of meditative, yeah. easy state. And people can interpret that as some form of like, you know, they're very distant or aloof yeah. or actually are they happy or, you know, so yeah. so many different versions of happiness. Yeah, it's interesting with stoicism, people naturally associate stoicism with kind of grumpy, stern people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In actual fact, it's this, this level of contentment. People say, yeah. you know, I have to let people, like, I have to put a smile on because, like, Jamie's a bit distant. I said, no, I'm just, being, like, I'm sitting, I'll be sitting in a place, I'm like, I'm just, I'm good. Like, I'm, you know, especially my, my place by by the sea, like this morning, going for us for a dip mm. in in the sea. I was like, this is this is it, this yeah. is it. That's it. Take me away. I'm done. That is it. And and that is my that is my version of happiness. You know, it really, really is. It's just like cool contentment. And it's just really interesting what you said there about you know different cultures and yeah. and elation and thinking that you need to 
be excited and all of these yeah. emotions which actually drain you of your energy rather than yeah. give you energy. Um, that dip in the sea, you know, I'm already, I'm telling you I'm going to join you tomorrow. And that whole topic of cold exposure, um, you know, I find fascinating because, you know, I think it's, personally, this is not coming from purely a place of facts, there's some bias here. I feel it's significantly overhyped, you know, proponents of cold exposure like Wim Hof, for example you know, talk about it, can mobilize brown fat, help you lose weight, boost your immune system, lower your CRP and inflammation. There's a lot of things that's hyperinflated claims yeah. on this yeah. thing. But I massively feel that cold exposure comes from a place of ancient wisdom where, you know, gurus and saints used to do it on the foothills of the Himalayan mountains and just sit there smoking, you know, pure marijuana and just getting high in a meditative state, being cold. That's cool. Um, some of that was lost along the years of kind of ancient wisdom, and there are some people who've slightly whitewashed it and repackaged it for a modern generation. And then obviously the kind of bio bros and wellness hack like Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, etc., will elevate that to another level and say, yeah, cold exposure. And then you know everyone who does the podcast circuit in America talks about cold exposure. And I think there is something there, and I think we need more studies. There's not enough consistent empirical evidence to suggest in. Yeah mass human data it's good and i'm trying to get mine myself every morning yeah. i started today i have a normal warm shower and the last 30 seconds i put it cold and i turn it down to lukewarm and then cold and it gives me a thrill yeah and i'm sure that psychological thrill will have you know physical benefits yeah. because the mind is connected to the body I, so I'm i always say to... i always say to people that go cold warm then cold don't go mm. warm and cold because you, what you miss out on is the, the mindset before it goes straight into cold. It's that apprehension. Mm. And bit, like, so one thing I get on my social media all the time is they see me do daily C-dips. I've done them every day for two and a half years now. Mm. And someone will say to me, Jay, what's the benefit? And I said, there's two types of, there's two types of people. Those that want to know the benefit of something before doing it and those that do something to find the benefit yeah, yeah, in yeah. doing stuff. And I say, look, I'm not gonna talk about brown fat, I'm not talking about anything else. What I'm talking about is how I'm feeling before I go in and how I feel after. And there's a couple of guys, happy pair guys, uh, they're two vegans in Ireland. And I'll always remember before I started CD, he said the man that goes in the sea is very different to the man that comes out. And what I talk about when it comes to sea dips is discipline. And one of my quotes is, motivation is doing things when you feel like doing it and discipline is doing things out uh, regardless of how you feel. No one on, Earth is is motivated to do a cold shower. It's something that needs to be disciplined because you don't want to do it. So you have to say, we don't want to do it, but we do it anyway. And, and this is something that I've really found over the last two and a half years. It's like the, the feeling of being disciplined is a reward after you've successfully achieved something. So focus on the outcome at the end rather than getting the win at the beginning mm. and you'll understand what discipline is about and that's really helped me with the C from a psychological perspective of understanding that lots of things that I don't want to do I need to do because I get the benefit after that includes C dips going to the gym getting up early stretching all of these things as well so that's kind of the first one with me and C dips and there was a, a quote by Naval Ravikant and what he said is that people don't want peace of mind, they want peace from mind. Mm. And it's finding something, a practice that you can do five minutes a day to get peace from your mind. So clear of thoughts. Now, I'm 
always in my head, always overthinking stuff. So I need to be finding something to a level of extreme that forces me out of that uh, thought process. Hence why I found a lot of the cold water. So very much when I when I say to people that make a commitment to it, you will find your own reasons for doing it. And when you do find that reasons, you'll keep consistent with it. I think, um, you know, two points on what you've touched on. First about the cold water and, you know, reaping that psychological benefit. If tomorrow someone published a high-quality study completely saying that cold water doesn't do anything for you, that doesn't change anything on a micro level to you because no one can take away the benefit it provides to you. The N equals one study negates that study because it's intangible, the benefits that you achieve psychologically, even if the science says no. doesn't matter. Science looks at data. It doesn't look at individual data points and you can't make a conclusion from individual data points that's why we have case reports it's one study you are that one study it has benefits so even if the science says nothing you continue to doing it um and the other thing you said about having peace from mind uh i had a lot of that when i first started as a doctor actually you know it's not every day that someone who's 24 when they start as a doctor sees death sees unwell people sees all sorts of horrible stuff on a daily basis and the accumulation of those micro stresses just from paying for parking to having shitty hospital canteen food to seeing someone die micro micro macro stress and at the end of the day dealing with all that kind of trauma quote unquote and having all these racing thoughts before going to bed and then having insomnia and then not sleeping well having more insomnia vicious cycle I, from the most unlikeliest of sources, changed that because I saw this interview that Matthew McConaughey did. And he talked about he's been keeping a journal for 30 years. And I thought, it's weird. I just started doing it because he's just really sold it to me when I saw it on a podcast. And I started doing it on and off. And then I really started doing it this year. And it's made a huge improvement because... You know, 90% of your brain runs on autopilot, runs on subconscious thoughts. And it's only 10% of your conscious brain, the prefrontal cortex, that decides executive tasks like do that, do that, do that. So lots of your emotional brain and kind of stuff runs on autopilot, the routine brain. And journaling allows you to just almost cognitively deload everything that you're thinking about. Because when you're thinking about all these racing thoughts, you're basically multitasking. And there's significant data showing that multitasking is not good for your brain because you're task switching and it increases error rate, decreases focus, decreases your you know, memory acquisition. So if you just journal everything, write stuff down, you can continue to be on autopilot and save that 10% for what you're actually doing. And it's made a huge impact in terms of my surgery, my memory, my mood, my sleep. Fantastic. All thanks to Matthew. This is why I love podcasts. Yeah. You know, like I just um, relaunched one of my podcasts with a good friend of mine. We had like ran, random thing. 2017, we did a podcast and it was just like I, he'd lived in Brighton. I lived in Bogner and we'd chat for an hour on the phone. And very much like we were talking like, mate, we, sh- we should really record some of this stuff. And we recorded our first one. And he, he had uh, his iPhone headphones on so you could hear his beard scratching when he was chatting. And uh, we launched it. It was a number one podcast in the UK. It had 38,000 downloads in 24 hours. Wow. And we're like, we're onto something here. But we, he, he had um, 
his his dad recently passed of cancer and it's been four years since we've done it we came back last friday and we filmed four one and a half hour session right i call it it was essentially four one and a half hour therapy sessions where it was just like so dan what have you been up to for the last four years? And we just broke down every single year of the things that we've been through, going through our struggles. And I was just like, this is exactly what my 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 body and my brain needed, is just to yeah. journal out thoughts. And it's my own version of journaling has always been with my social media. I used to really say a, a thought on my mind every day on my stories. So my, my walk process was about, here's what I'm thinking of today and here's what I think it, um, it means. And... I'd finish my walk, I'd say that stuff. It would be giving value to my audience about something, but then it allowed me to do that journaling process of going, it's out of my head now, and I've understood it better. I think more people need to do that. It's like, write shit down. A lot of, you know, I believe that when people go to say, and I've had this before, where someone sits down, they speak to me, and during their, set, like during their chat, they've already figured out the solution so they're like i'm talking to you now but I've, i'm going to tell you but i've already figured it out and the reason that they figured it out is because it's gone that way yeah and that is that that's journaling it's brain dumping things down your thoughts because if they stay in there they don't become a reality and you don't just need to write them down you can do a voice note and this is something i did so probably my second day into the job as a doctor back in 2014 my first year is when i saw my first death and it was really visceral experience because it's on a normal shift suddenly the crash bell goes off the crash alarm that means someone's either fainted or worse had a cardiac arrest someone's unresponsive or dead so we all ran there ran up several flights of steps uh really sweaty tired at the end of it panicking because i've never done cpr on a real person, just on simulated models. And I'm like, shit. And it's this old lady, she's 94 years old. She really shouldn't have CPR, but she's not got a do not resuscitate form. So we legally have to jump on her chest. And I'm jumping on her chest and she is thin, frail. I can feel the ribs cracking underneath me as I'm doing the CPR. And I'm like, holy shit, am I doing the right thing? Am I going too hard? All my knowledge disappears. And there's no senior that's coming. It's me, a junior nurse, and my other junior doctor colleague who's been on the job for two days as well. And I'm like, we're, we're in trouble here. Uh, when do we stop? We need someone to tell us when do we stop, like a senior decision maker. Someone eventually comes and says, yeah, keep going. Maybe let's try some adrenaline. And I'm thinking, well, okay, keep going. It goes on for 10 minutes, which seems like an hour. Yeah, but, I'm yeah. draining. You know, you, probably the best tricep workout you'll ever get and the one that you don't want to do, jumping on someone's chest. And after that experience, I underrated how much of a mental drain that was for me because I didn't talk through it with anyone. And for a while, I was struggling to sleep, struggling to separate life from work because I kept thinking about that. I'm like, I really hope I don't have to do that again. And I did the next week because I was on an elderly care job in my first year as a doctor. Well, my first four months. So you see a lot of people who will have cardiac arrests and things like that. So I unfortunately saw a lot of that in my first four months as a doctor, a lot of deaths. And I didn't have anyone to talk it through. And eventually someone did pull me aside and just said, do you want to talk about it? And I thought, what? I thought, oh, no, doctors don't talk about their feelings and things like that. And I spoke to, he was a registrar, which is what I am now, so several years into the job. Um, and he said, yeah, listen, mate, it's a horrible experience. Just tell me, let's talk. And we got a coffee and we just spoke about it for a good hour. 
and it was like therapy dumping everything on him and he and he said to me you start just voice noting so then in a few months or a few weeks or a few years you listen to it back and you know see what's what's changed and i do that with juniors who come and experience some horrible experience and talk through it and um you do, that's the point I'm making. You don't need to just write it down. You can talk to a friend, just talk, and that will just, again, unloads things from you and you, it just disappears off into the ether. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and it's just, it's so, so true. And very much like you just said there, we don't talk about our feelings. Um, Karen, I, I literally could talk to you. This could be a six-hour podcast. So what I kind of want to finish on is what, what kind of tips would you give the younger generation, you know, and, and one thing I found with uh, TikTok is, um, yeah, my, my following was very much 26 to 34, and now it's kind of 16 to 22. What tips would you give that kind of 16 to 22 uh, year old to maintain and improve their mental health in 2022? It's a difficult question, especially when I'm navigating it myself. But I think the best teacher is one that is constantly learning as well. You know, not someone who's finished learning because you can't finish learning in life. Mm. So all I would say is just, number one, talk to people. That's probably the best low-hanging fruit you've got. And I love low-hanging fruits, just talking to people. Uh, talking to people gives you a different perspective on things. And, you know, I'll, I'll actually just finish on that, that note, actually. Um, there's Solomon's Paradox. You know, King Solomon was this... Um, Israeli king sought after worldwide for his sage wisdom and advice. People used to come from all parts of the world to get advice from him and he used to give brilliant advice to other people. But his own life was a shit show. His kid was a, ended up being a tyrant. He had multiple wives, just had a really horrible life. So he was good at giving advice but not good at taking his own advice and improving his own life. So the best way to improve yourself is obviously learning from other people's mistakes is the best thing to do, which I do in surgery as well. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But also taking a third-person view on your own life, instead of talking to other people and giving advice, which is what we do, and a lot of us, you know, like, for example, myself, early on I was talking about sleep and this and that, and actually my own life was a bit of a shit show because of work. I actually thought, let me take a third-person perspective and give advice to myself, and that is the best thing. Take a step back and look at yourself first and think, what would I change? Instead of giving advice, give that to yourself and action your own advice to yourself. Love it. I'd call it Truman Show. Truman Show, yeah. Yeah. So imagine that you're the person in the Truman Show and then yeah. you're watching yourself on TV. Are you happy with how you're doing things? And maybe you might want to change those things. Mm. It's very interesting because I, I kind of accidentally did that in my earlier years of uh, competing. So I used to compete... Um, back in sort of 2012, 2013, and I would do daily vlogs. So each day I'll be sharing what I've worked out, how much I've slept, um, what I've ate, what I'm changing next week, and everything else like that. And you forget you're just creating this accountability of yourself from a third person because I now need to assess my own self mm. for to show other people. And what it allowed me to do unintentionally it's just to build a level of self-awareness by going like you just said take yourself out of your body imagine yeah. that you are now self-assessing to an audience and then you're like fuck i figured that thing out now because i've had to document it and tell other people 
once again, that kind of Truman Show third person yeah. perspective. And I think that's so powerful. You know, my, uh, I'll just say this thing. My dad told me something when I was at uni and I didn't really get it at the time, but I get it now because I, I keep remembering that quote. And this was at uni when I was trying to go to the gym more. I was trying to impress girls, trying to impress other people. And I was spending more money on clothes and all these weird things. And my dad says, don't mortgage your happiness to pay for other people's attention. And I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And actually, I finally get it. You know, just focus on yourself. Do whatever you want to do. Who cares about other people? If I asked you right now, that party you went to two weeks ago, uh, do you remember if anyone did anything embarrassing? You probably don't know. But that person at the party who thinks they did something embarrassing will be like, oh, shit, did something embarrassing. But actually, no one cares. Yeah. People don't care about what other people do. It's that spotlight effect. People think everyone is looking at them. No one gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, round the world syndrome. Yeah. You know, people think that the world's revolving around them. And I remember someone saying to us, it's like, you, you're walking into a nightclub, you see, uh, you know, uh, you see a girl and you're a bit embarrassed because you're like, has she seen that I'm wearing shit shoes? Has she seen that, you know, like I haven't like washed my hair? And he's wondering what she's doing because she's looking at him and then we go into her brain and she's like, oh my God, it's a good looking guy. Has he seen the ladder in my tights? Has he seen, you know, you know, has he seen that you know, my dress is too short? And, and then I say to people like this all the time because I used to run a gym and I say, look, this is the same scenario in the gym. You walk in the gym going, oh, has that person seen that I don't know what I'm doing? Has he seen that, that, per that I'm a bit embarrassed because I don't know how to change that machine? Whereas the other guy's going, has he noticed that I've got small calves? Has he noticed or he or she noticed that, you know, um, my bag's shit? And it's like this around the world. Every single person thinks that everybody else is staring at everybody else when everybody else is actually thinking what everybody else is thinking <laughs> yeah. of. And when you understand that perspective, it's like, just chill the fuck out. Mm. <laughs> I think that is a perfect um, thing to finish on. So, Dr. Cron, thank you ever so much for Thanks, having Jamie. a chat with me today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Man, I could, we could turn that into like three hours, man. That was good. That was good.